Welcome to the Buckhead Church Podcast. At Buckhead Church, we are for Atlanta because we believe that God is for Atlanta. And these days, it's more important than ever to be known by what we're for. And we hope this podcast helps you in your life and faith. We want to help you find greater hope with fewer regrets because we are for you. If it's your first time with us, head over to buckheadchurch.org slash new so we can meet you and send you a free For Atlanta gift on us. If you're not already receiving weekly emails from us, make sure to head to our website, scroll to the bottom, click stay informed and sign up today. The best way to keep up with everything going on is to follow us on social media, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free Buckhead Church app. But most importantly, I hope the following episode inspires you to take the next step forward in your faith journey this week. Enjoy. It's not lost on us in a world where there's so much conflict and struggle for power um, in our city, in our communities, in our companies, across our nation, around the world that a king was born to us. The primary thing that you ask of us is that we would bow to a king, this king that was born. So as we reflect on the events of that first Christmas this afternoon, I pray that uh, for all of us, we would recognize that bowing to and surrendering to Jesus as our king is the best thing for us, that what you desire for us, what you want to lead us toward, we find by surrendering to, by following, by uh, submitting ourselves to the rulership of our King Jesus. And we pray in his name, amen, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Um, so I, I had a crazy idea and I wanted to try something a little bit different. As a matter of fact, it's something we've never done before. And it could go really, really bad. And if it does, goes really bad, we won't do it for the other services. But um, here's what I thought we would do. Um, there's a lot of our upstreet kids. Upstreet kids, you in the room? Elementary age kids? I mean, I know you can make more noise than that. Here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to just make noise. Here's what I want you to do, even if you're in the balcony. I want all of you to come down front and join me right over here on these carpets. All the upstream kids, and I've got something for you. So come. We got a goodie bag for you. Come get your goodie bag. Um, moms and dads, I don't know. How many of you guys grew up in church? You remember the children's sermon at, at the beginning, you know, during church? Sometimes that went well. Sometimes that didn't go so well. That's what we're going to do. Guys, come, come on down. Grab a seat. Grab your goodie bag. Grab a seat. We got carpets all the way over here. I need you guys to spread out. Spread out all over in here. There's lots of space on the other side as you guys are coming. We're going to play a little game together, and I want moms and dads to play too. Teenagers, you're going to get to play. I got something for you later on. Uh, everybody can play in this game. Find a spot. Uh, we've got lots of carpet, lots of space. You can spread out over here in the back, over here in the middle. There's some more space. Find yourself some space around here. Here's what we're going to do. Um, I need everybody. Can I borrow your bag real quick? Can I borrow? Here's what I need every, all you guys to do. Don't take the stuff out of your bag yet. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to find this thing in your bag. There's a little notebook. Looks like this. And then I want, to, I want you to find your crayons. Your crayons are in your, your little thing too. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to draw together. Did you not get one? Here we go. These guys will help you. If you didn't get a bag, just raise your hand. We'll get you one. We'll get you a goodie bag. While you're waiting for your goodie bag, I want you to listen real quick. Here's what we're going to do. I like to draw. In fact, I used to get in trouble for drawing growing up in church. I used to sit in church and the sermon was boring. So I would draw. And that's how I learned to draw. But I draw, the cool thing about that is, is now I'm a pastor and I draw in church all the time, which is really, really fun. 
In fact, I draw in front of your parents, and I don't know if they really like it or not, but I do it anyway because I like to draw. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to play a little drawing game, and you don't have to be a good artist. You just need an imagination. We got a couple right here in the middle. Could you get them bags? Right there we go. Um, yeah, they're going to toss them to you. You're going to have to catch them. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your little notebook. I want you to get a crayon, and I want you to use your imagination. Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give you a phrase. Shh, 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 listen up. I'm going to give you a phrase. And when I say this phrase, I want you to write the, I want you to draw the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? I'm going to say a phrase. I want you to draw the first thing that comes to mind. So everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes, close your eyes. I'm going to say a phrase. The first picture that comes into your mind, I want you to draw it, okay? You ready? Everybody ready? Christmas characters. Christmas characters. Don't say it. Don't say it out loud. Draw it. Draw it. Draw it in your little book. I want to see what, you, what you're drawing. Okay, I see some Frosty the Snowmans. What do we got over here? Rudolph, that's pretty good. What else do we got? We got, we got some good stuff. I, I, don't, I don't know what comes. Keep, keep drawing your, your character. Um, I have a character that comes to mind for me. And um, I, I know that this one isn't always the most popular one in church, but it was always the most popular one to me as a kid. And um, if you think you know what mine is, you can say it out loud if you want. But yeah, Santa Claus. Um, the Grinch, come on. I'm not a very good drawer if that looks like a Grinch, come on. So, so here's an interesting thing, and, and here's what I want you to know. We're, we're, not just gonna, we're, not just gonna, we're not just gonna draw. I'm gonna teach you some things. You gotta learn something. You're at church. I'm gonna teach you some really cool stuff about the tradition uh, of Christmas. Did you know there wasn't always a Santa Claus? You don't get to comment on this. You just get to listen. There wasn't always a Santa Claus. Do you know that about 250 years after Jesus was born, there was a little boy his name was Nicholas, and he was born in Turkey, the country, modern-day Turkey. Um, it's sort of uh, southern Europe, uh, kind of in the Middle East, and this, this, in this country, this little boy was born, and he was born uh, into a pretty wealthy family, and there were, but there were lots of people around him who didn't have a whole lot, and he grew up in the church, and he decided to become a Jesus follower, and then he got involved in the church, and he became a leader in the church. He eventually, that was, he was in the Catholic church. It was called a bishop. He was a bishop of his church. And then one day his parents, after his parents passed away, he inherited all this wealth. He became really rich. And you know what he did? He quit his job in the church and he traveled around and he gave away all his wealth to people who were in need, to, to, to kids, to orphans, uh, to single moms, to, to widows, to people who were in need. He traveled around and gave, and one of the things he was most famous for, and this is where some of our tradition comes from, he was most famous for dropping gold coins down the chimney into to families' homes because he didn't want them to know who it was from. He wanted it to be anonymous. So he dropped these gold coins down. And ever since then, there's been a Santa Claus. It's been passed down. Somebody has taken responsibility for being Santa Claus. Okay, close your eyes, Jen. Close your eyes, and we're gonna try another one. Close your eyes. All right, first thing, I want you to open your eyes and draw. The first thing that comes to mind when I say Christmas ornament. Christmas ornament. Don't say it. The first thing that comes to your mind when you think Christmas ornament Good, snowflakes, I like that. Oh yeah, classic, so good. Okay, here's one of my favorites. I, you guys can keep drawing yours. Here's one of my favorites, uh, and I don't know, does anybody have one of these on their, on their tree? Everybody know what this is real quick? Star! Yeah, the star. Where, where do you put the star? On the top, of course, on the top of the Christmas tree. I mean, there's people that put stars other places. I just think that's a little bit weird um, that they put stars other places on their tree. But did you know, this is one of my, reasons, my favorite reasons. You can put an angel on top of the tree. That's right. I, I, I agree with you. And 
There's no problem with that. I just think the star is better. I'm going to make a case. Let's see if I can convince you. I may not be able to, but I'm going to try. Here's why. The star, it, it goes back to the very first Christmas. In the very first Christmas, we're told there was a star in the sky that the wise men followed. You remember this part of the story? The wise men followed to Bethlehem. Yeah, they followed the star. And so, so listen to this. This star, um, there were some special things about this star, but did you know that this, we've now proven by science that this star existed? There was some research that was done by a, a German astronomer. He's a really smart guy. And then an American astrophysicist. I mean, try to spell that one. He was a really smart guy. And their research together helped us understand, you ready for this? There'll be a test later. They found that there was something called a rare planetary conjunction. You're like, what in the world is that? Here's all it means. It just means that these stars lined up and they lined up at just the right time. Did you know that Saturn and Jupiter and the moon lined up at just the right time? In fact, it was the time, just at the exact time we discovered that when Jesus was born, we were able to discover, discover this by scientific computer models that dated it back and we realized that this happened at the time when Jesus was born. And you know what's shocking about that? Is that rare planetary conjunction, it made a scepter that's why we, we draw the star like this. It's why this, your, the star in the Christmas tree typically looks like this, the one that's associated with Christmas, because it made this scepter in the sky and 1,400 years before Jesus in the Bible, it says that there will be a star in the sky that marks the birth of this newborn king. Isn't that super cool that this was predicted, it happened, and now we can prove it all these years later. So such an amazing thing. Okay, let's try another one. Close your eyes, close your eyes. I got, I got just a couple more. Here's the next one. This is going to be a fun one. Close your eyes. I want you, everybody think. You got to think hard on this one. Christmas morning. Christmas morning. Draw it. I want you to draw it real quick. Christmas morning. Christmas morning. I'll tell you one of the things I love about Christmas morning is sausage balls. It's not what I'm drawing, but I love sausage balls. Uh, anybody else like sausage balls? You guys like sausage? I mean, hint to my wife, sausage balls would be amazing tomorrow morning. Um, but uh, I love sausage balls, uh, but I'll bet you there's something else that a lot of you are drawing that you think about when you think about Christmas morning. You're, you're spoiling my picture here. So, so how many of you look forward on Christmas morning to coming down to something like that? Anybody excited about presents on Christmas morning? Come on. So I'm really excited about presents on Christmas morning too. Do you know why we get presents on Christmas? Does anybody know why? Why do we get presents on Christmas? Okay. Yes, because, because the wise men, the wise men bought presents to Jesus on the very first Christmas. Listen to this. Do you know that the same guys that followed the stars, when they showed up, these wise men, they were advisors to kings. In Persia, not far away, in the east from, from Bethlehem. And these guys knew about the stars. They were these advisors. They knew all about the stars. They knew all about the planets aligning. And when they saw this in the sky, they came because they knew there was going to be a new king. And so when they found Jesus, they brought presents to him. Do you remember what kind of presents they brought? Gold. Gold was one. Frankincense. And myrrh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You guys, you guys are smart. Okay, I can't get anything by you. Okay, let, let's try one more. Let's try one more. Close your eyes, close your eyes. This is the last one. Last one. This is one of my favorites. All right, you ready? Christmas treats. Christmas treats. Draw it. Draw it in your book. Draw it in your book. Christmas treats. What's your favorite Christmas treat? Draw it in your book. Draw it in your book. Draw it in your book. 
I don't know that anybody's drawn this one. I'm actually not really good at drawing these. But yes. So you drew a candy cane already? You probably should be up here drawing. So here's the thing. Here's the thing about candy canes. I want to teach you something you may not know about candy canes. Did you know that candy canes weren't always striped? Did anybody know that? Come on. You all knew that? That's crazy. I just learned that like last week. So, so here's the thing. Candy canes used to be white. They were all white. And they were called candy canes because they were made from cane sugar, not because they were shaped like a cane. They were, they, were, they were striped, and the traditional candy cane was red and white. This is a good one. This is a nice big one. Um, they, they, were striped, they were striped red and white. But did you know, and I'm going to teach you something about your city. I'm going to teach you something about our city, which is awesome. Around 1900 is when they first started striping the candy cane. And there's a guy named Bob McCormick who's from Atlanta. Anybody remember Bob McCormick? No. Bob's Candies. How about that? Bob's Candies originated in Atlanta, Georgia in 1920. Bob McCormick and his brother-in-law created this thing called the Keller Machine. It was named after his brother-in-law, and it automatically made candy canes that were striped like this, and they made it like this. Now, there were some people that knew the McCormicks, and they said that Bob chose red and white specifically for spiritual reasons, because he was a Jesus follower, and that he chose red and white, the white to represent the purity of Jesus, and the red to, to, to represent his sacrifice. And some people even believe that he made this not to look like a cane, but to look like a J for Jesus. You'll never look at a candy cane different. It's, it, it represents a J for Jesus. Now, I don't know if that's all true or not, but here's the thing. There's so many things connected to the Christmas story that have to do with our faith. And, and here's the thing. You guys have been so smart. I have one more, but before we do that, you guys have been so good. Here's what I want to do. Um, I want to give this candy cane to somebody who is that your hand. I saw your hand go up first. I want to give it to you. That, that's amazing. I know that's not fair, is it? I think you should all get a candy cane. You all want a big candy cane like that? Let's give all these guys. Can we give all these guys a candy cane on your way out as your way on your way back to your seats? We've got them in all the different aisles. So you guys head back, take all your goodie bags with you, head back to your parents and grab your candy cane on the way there. Okay, can you guys give these guys a big round of applause? They were amazing. Weren't they amazing? So good. Perfect. What did you draw? A boost in a well. That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Grab, grab your candy cane. So all of that to get to this, um, there's another image as they're headed back to their seats that I don't know is, is maybe one of the most recognizable or even the most focused on. Certainly the nativity is. Well, I'll, I'll let you guess it when you get back to your parents. How about that? <laughs> I'll tell you if you're right or not, but you have to yell it out from your seat. How about that? You're going to put all your crayons back in. You just take your time. You're good. So the nativity is certainly at the center of the Christmas story, but what's interesting is, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but one of the things that occurred to me this year as I was thinking through the Christmas message, which is always tricky because everybody knows the story and everybody wants you to tell the, the, the story that everybody knows in this fresh new way, which is always like pressure for somebody like me. But one of the cool things about this story is that at the center of the Christmas story is not just a baby. The center of the Christmas story is a family. And the cool thing about that is, is that 
uh, at the center of the Christmas story was a promise that was fulfilled to a family that was made to another family 1,800 years earlier. Some of you remember the story, uh, Abraham and Sarah were promised a child. And it was extraordinary because they were in their old age, but the promise God made to them was that um, they, would, they would one day uh, have not just a family, but from their family would come an entire nation. And, and this was unbelievable because Abraham and Sarah were in their 90s, but eventually God provided a child to them. But the ultimate fulfillment of his promise would come through another family uh, that, that in the Christmas story represents God's plan to rescue people, to ultimately save his people because the world was in peril. The world was in a mess. And so God started with Abraham. He started with one family and he created that family. And as they had this son, Jacob, who later would be known as Israel, Israel become this great nation. And from that great nation would come a child and he would be born into a family. There, there are several things uh, that we learn about this first family. I wanna, I wanna look at the story real quick. I wanna read the Christmas story because we can't have a Christmas Eve service and not read the Christmas story. But I wanna pull together a couple different uh, scriptures so that we can cobble together the story. I wanna start with the beginnings of this family. In, in the book of Luke, uh, Luke begins with the angel that appears to Mary. And he says this, that God sent an angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. What's interesting is uh, we're told in the scriptures, if you were to look in Matthew, some of you know that Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, the record of Jesus' life, it begins with genealogy, which we all think is boring. But here's the thing. What it's doing is it's, it's chronicling. It's helping us understand that that this promise that had been made to uh, deliver the world through this Messiah, it began with Abraham and it traces this lineage all the way to Jesus. There were 42 generations uh, from Abraham to Jesus, 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David until the people were exiled in Babylon, and then 14 generations from then into the Messiah, 42 generations in all, fulfilling this promise um, to uh, one who was uh, this, this, Mary, this uh, Virgin Mary who was pledged to be married to a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And Mary had lots of questions because she and Joseph hadn't uh, had been actually been married and had their ceremony yet, and she didn't know how this would, would even be possible. But look at Mary's response. Mary responded, and she said this. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. It's interesting, three things we learn from these three people that were this new family at this first Christmas. From Mary, we learn about her faith. 
Extraordinary faith to say, hey, God, whatever you have planned for me, whatever you say is going to come to me, recognizing this is going to be hard and this is going to be difficult, and, and certainly it didn't go as she thought her, she thought her life was going to go. She hadn't planned uh, to become pregnant before she actually got married. She hadn't planned to travel a long way late in her pregnancy. She hadn't planned to have a baby in a barn. But she said, God, whatever, whatever you say about me, whatever you say should happen to me, I want that to be my story because the best thing that can happen in my story is for my story to be directed by you. And she expresses extraordinary faith. Matthew tells us what was going on with Joseph. I mean, you can only imagine what, what's happening with him. Uh, we, we learned that because Joseph uh, was faithful to the law, he was a faithful follower of the law, um, he didn't, want to explode, and he didn't want to expose Mary to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly because being engaged was just like being married in their culture. There was just a, a few more rituals that needed to happen to complete the marriage. But, but the reality was they were pretty much married and he had two options when he found this information out, either to publicly disgrace her to, to, or to divorce her quietly. And after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And he said this, he said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. You have a role in this story. You as his earthly father are gonna name him and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph giving the, being given the responsibility of naming the, the child, the Messiah, he names him Jesus, and in, in so doing, he, he, the, the, the name Jesus mean the, means the Lord saves. He proclaims the hope of not only his family, but the hope of a whole nation, a nation that would bring forth a savior who would save the entire world. And he declares the hope of the world in the naming of Jesus, not just his hope, not just Israel's hope, but the hope of the world in a savior that was born that night in Bethlehem. And that leads me uh, to the, the most famous part of the Christmas story. And I always love reading this part of the Christmas story at Christmas time. It says that at the time, uh, the Roman emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman empire. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from a village of, Naz a village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in snugly strips of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. That night, there were shepherds staying in fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. And suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, do not be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, 
the armies of heaven praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth on those whom God, to those whom God is pleased. It's interesting that the angels declared that God was pleased with people because in a world where many had turned their back on, back on God, who decided to go their own way, many even in the, the Jewish faith, many of the, the people that were known as God's people who had decided not to trust in God and to do life their own way, we're told the angels declared that, that God had favored them. In fact, that's, that phrase, to whom God is pleased, means that, that God favors you. I don't know if anybody's told you that this Christmas season, but, but God favors you. And because he favored you, he sent his son. Because he favored you, he sent a savior. Because he favored you, he sent a king. What's interesting is later, uh, John the Baptist, who was Jesus's cousin, when, when Jesus came to be baptized, to, to, to sort of begin his personal ministry on earth at about 30 years of age, uh, John, when he saw him, he announced, he, he saw him and here's how he identified him. He said, there he is. That's the one I've been telling you about, the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the entire world. The Lamb of God, the one who's come, not just to be born, not to give us a fun little Christmas story, but he came to live a perfect life and then die a perfect death, to sacrifice his life as the perfect Lamb of God for you and for me, to save the entire world. That's what his life was about. But this family, this first Christmas, I want you to think about this. Isn't this what makes a great family? These attributes of faith and hope and love. I mean, amazing that they, they existed in that first Christmas. These were the things that characterized Mary's behavior and Joseph's behavior and the gift of this newborn king, this son. See, great families are built on trust. They're built on faith in one another and they're built on people who believe the best in one another, who have great hopes for each other, hopes for us to improve, hope that, hopes for, for our future for each other. Parents who have great hopes for their kids, couples who have great hopes for their relationship, grandparents who have great hopes for their grandkids, people who have great hopes one day to be a part of a great family and a willingness to sacrifice a willingness to sacrifice our own, on our own part to love one another. In fact, this might be a great conversation uh, to have this Christmas season, maybe on the ride home or, or maybe sometime during the Christmas season, you could talk to the family of how are we growing in our faith? And what are, what are the things that we're doing? What are our habits to grow in our faith? What are the things we can do to make sure the things that we should ultimately hope in are the things we actually place our hope in, the, thing that God, the things that God has promised us? And then how are we cultivating love by choosing to sacrifice for one another? But while this is a great model for our families, even more significant than that, more importantly than that, these are the things that are to characterize God's family. And for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus, who've placed our faith in Jesus, the scripture says we've been adopted into a new family. And it's actually supposed to be our primary family. And these things that were present at the first Christmas, these attributes of faith and hope and love, they're to characterize us as a family. 
They're to be the things that we offer to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what makes our light shine, not just at Christmas time, but throughout the year. The Apostle Paul, he, he would draw out these same themes and he would say it this way. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And the reason the greatest of these is love is because our faith and our hope is ultimately in God's love expressed to us in the, not just the birth of Jesus, not just in him coming to the world, but choosing to lay down his life for me and for you. See, some of us, we came from a great family. Others of us didn't. Some of us married into a great family, and truthfully, some of us didn't. Some of us uh, are trying to build a great family. Some of us hope to one day start and build a great family. But this is what Christmas is about. Christmas is the fact that all of us have been invited to play a part in the greatest family the world has ever known, family of God. Christmas is a reminder of the home each of us has in the family of God. Christmas, if you haven't ever entered into that by faith in Jesus, Christmas is in itself an invitation again to come home and find your place in the family of God. May you this Christmas find extraordinary faith, choose to live your life from this point and beyond with a fullness of faith that leads you towards what God's promised you. May you continue, continue to have your, your hope centered on, your gaze fixed on the things that God has ultimately promised us, the things that are sure, the hope of heaven. And may we be people who because of the sacrifice of Christ are so moved because of the way that God loved us that we choose to love those around us, those who live in our homes, those who live in our neighborhoods, that go to our schools, that work in our office buildings, those who are all around us in our community and our city that so badly need this type of love. May we be willing to sacrifice the way that Jesus did to express his love to the world he came to save. Let me pray for you. God, as we conclude our time together, um, my prayer is that we would steward the opportunities that we have. The opportunities moms and dads have in their homes uh, of the children you've entrusted to them, uh, knowing that they're not theirs, but they've been entrusted to them for a season. And that, that they would steward that um, by prioritizing faith and hope and love in their homes. God, I pray for those of us in relationships, uh, in marriages, those of us who are engaged or in dating relationships, I pray that at the center of those relationships, would be these things that remain, the only things that last forever, this faith and this hope and this love. And that we would allow that to guide and direct our steps as you lead us. And that as Mary did, I, I can't imagine she knew, as she stewarded this child, the Savior, this King that was born to her and to Joseph, as Mary and Joseph stewarded this child, may we steward all that you've placed into our hands in this season and ultimately point people towards you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Once again, thanks for listening. 
If you'd like to hear more messages like this, we've made it super easy. First, you can hit the subscribe button to get these messages on your device every week. Second, you can download our app from iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your apps. Or third, you can check out our YouTube channel. Just search for Buckhead Church and make sure to subscribe. Have a great day.